Hey listeners, Dr. Taryn Marie here from Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. If our podcast speaks to you, consider leaving us a warm review at the top of the page on Spotify or at the bottom of the page on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews and opinions mean a lot to us, and it allows us to reach more good folks just like you. All right, now on to the show. Welcome to Flourish or Fold, Stories of Resilience. I'm Dr. Taryn Marie, and on this series, we have the opportunity to hear from well-known people who tell their often surprising, lesser well-known stories of resilience. Hello to all of you Flourish or Fold listeners out there. I am so delighted to share this week's episode, Austin Mao. He's the head minister and founder of Ceremonia, an energetic church. Austin's going to share with us what it means to be part of an energetic church, how he uses psychedelics as sacraments to deepen a connection with God, and his personal journey in founding the church and the transformative effects it's had on his life. Listen in now. Well, hello to all of you and welcome back to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. Today, I have a wonderful and fantastic guest with me, Austin Mao. Now, Austin is the head minister and founder of Ceremonia, an ethnogenic church based out of Colorado. Austin, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. So delighted to have you here. Now, you and I met a couple of years ago on a retreat where we were engaging with sacred plan medicine. And I just love that we're coming back together in this format now and all of the expansion and amplification, the journey that you've been on. So one of the questions that I had with you for you before we started recording was, what is an ethnogenic church? Entheogens is a fancy word for psychedelics. And in, in, in an entheogenic church, these plant medicines are sacraments that our religion uses to create a greater connection with God. And our belief system is um, shares some similarities with the Buddhist system and that there's this idea of the God imminent and the God transcendent. God all around us, which is transcendent, and then the God within ourselves. And those sacraments, you know, whether those be ayahuasca or psilocybin mushrooms, like those sacraments enable us to have greater connection, greater access to the God imminent and transcendent. That's beautiful and so exciting. I would I wonder if you could tell us a bit about what it's been like for you um, to be on this journey and to be uncovering this calling that you have, your passion and purpose surrounding founding ceremonia and, and how that sort of emerged for you. Mm. Beautiful question and really brings back so many, many memories to reflect upon. About in the beginning of 2020, 2020 I sat with I plant sat medicine for the first time with an ayahuasca retreat with you. 
And it was there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is when I was invited to it by a mutual friend of ours, I thought that I was going to a networking event because <laughs> it was an ayahuasca retreat for entrepreneurs. I came in with a chip on my shoulder thinking, oh, you know, I had been to Burning Man 10 years. I've played around with various psychedelics. How different could this be? And I was completely unprepared for the transformative effect that these sacred medicines had on me. Back then, long story short, I discovered that I had repressed memories that were disabling me from actually feeling, from having memory of my past. I literally could not remember and could not feel the tremendous love that my mom gave me or that my relationships with the past, I shared in the relationships of my past. And so after that, my life really did flourish. It was such a, an eye-opening experience. Since that time, I dedicated and devoted much of my energy and much of my life to this medicine path by being in service to organizations um, that serve ayahuasca, ultimately becoming a program director for um, the organization we were a part of and a lead facilitator. Now, the formation of this um, entheogenic church is yet another leap forward in my own personal journey. Um, so much of my shadow is based in pridefulness. And the interesting thing about walking the spiritual path with pride is that it can translate into what we call in the field spiritual ego, which is a belief that, that I have something to share that is so important for other people to hear, so important for other people to feel. And I kept going into the service space wearing a mask, this mask of here I am for you, but really I, I'm here for me because I want you to applaud me. I want you to recognize me. I want you to validate me and what I'm missing inside. And so it wasn't until a few months ago where I went to an, another ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica um, as a participant. I hadn't been a participant in a retreat for many, many years. And at that time, I had just served uh, with one heart in Costa Rica um, in a leadership capacity uh, a couple weeks before. And that went so beautifully. I felt so validated. I felt so affirmed in my path, et cetera. But as life tends to course correct you when you're out of integrity, life absolutely slapped me in the face. <laughs> and at that ayahuasca retreat, I learned so much about how I was generating my own suffering from living in pridefulness, from telling stories of what I will do, but never actually committing to doing it, never actually risking enough for my freedom, for my truth. And peering into how much I was avoiding in my life, how much I was ignoring, you know, every time that I would feel a challenging feeling like brushing that under the rug instead of actually confronting where it's coming from and surrendering that, that feeling. Mm -hmm. 
it was the most challenging and rewarding experience of my life. Hmm. And then I committed. That's beautiful. Yeah. And what did it, what did it look like and, and sort of feel like for you to commit to something new and different in that moment? What was that process like? There's this great line that I like that intuition doesn't always lead you right, but it's the only thing that's ever led you right, right? And one of the things that I teach is that when I'm able to quiet my mind and have greater access to the intuition that lives in my body, the very act of following that intuition, even if it creates more challenges, perpetuates the trust that I build in myself, right? And so that experience of committing to this new path was, was and continues to be really, really hard. You know, I went mm. from um, being in, in, dedicating my energy to entrepreneurism and, and making money um, to running a nonprofit, right? In service of the world. And it's deeply responsible. There's so much responsibility in this work that challenges me to this day. It was the act of committing to it, of really listening to my soul that is creating this reinforcing loop where I am every day waking up excited to work, full of joy and peace. And even when I feel challenges, I'm able to just pause and reflect about how good I feel to walk this path now. And it's all worth it because of that incredible edifying feeling. Mm, amazing. Now, I know that there's some people that are listening right now that are thinking to themselves something akin to, I don't have intuition. If I do have intuition, I've never experienced it. Or maybe I've experienced a bit of intuition, but I don't have like reliable access to it, or I don't know if it's intuition or something else. Are you able to sort of provide us with a description or tell us about your journey about how did you sort of purse out some of those things to get to a place where you're so deeply in touch with your intuition? Mm, beautiful question. And it actually speaks to the um, curriculum that we teach in our trainings. We break our trainings up into mind, body, and spirit. The idea is that the mind, the first step in the awakening and healing process is to help the mind question its own beliefs. There's the spiritual teacher, Byron Katie, that shares that it's not our beliefs that cause us suffering. It's, sorry, it's not our thoughts that cause our suffering. It's the fact that we believe our thoughts, right? When our mind races, when it is in fight or flight mode, it's impossible to have access to truthfulness. We live in falsehood. We are living in perception instead of vision, right? In wantingness instead of inspiration. And, we're, and that looks like 
when we're in shame or guilt or grief or fear or anger, think of all the times you felt those feelings. Like if you've been angry, did you, were you able to recollect memory accurately? Was someone else that you were talking to? Taking those feelings and then coming into awareness of them through quieting the mind via this inquiry process, right? Or via meditation allows us to have greater access to our bodies, right? Hmm. Now there's this phenomenal book that um, I'm sure many have heard about called The Body Keeps the Score, sharing mm-hmm. this fairly accepted principle and really well-tested principle that when we suppress emotions and then ultimately repress emotions, they get um, stuck as energy in our bodies. They can even get to the point where they translate into, transmute into disease, which is disease, which is literally dis-ease, right? When we quiet the mind and finally have access to our emotional centers in our body, we can start to feel the tenseness or the lightness, right? We can start to feel um, when we have triggers, what our responses are, you know, do we want to run away or do we want to run towards some, somebody, right? When the mind races, it, it interprets those signals from the body as impulse, right? We've all had impulses. Sometimes when people feel challenged, their impulse is to grab a beer or to, you know, eat down this whole pint of ice cream, right? Or it's to yell or it's to run away, right? It's when we are able to actually come into inquiry and surrender those impulses to let go of the energy without avoiding it, do we have access to intuition. And what intuition feels like is a knowing with a capital K. There's this other well-known spiritual teacher named David Hawkins that shares that as we escalate up the ladder of consciousness from shame at the very bottom to guilt, to grief, to anger, to pride, and then flipping to strength once we find courage, and then from courage to acceptance, to love, to reason, to love, to joy, to peace, the way that we process information goes from linear thinking, which is deductive reasoning, if this, then that, to nonlinear thinking, which is intuition. I'm sure we've all experienced times where we knew the answer before we solved the problem, right? This could be something as simple as um, meeting somebody and having the intuition of should I trust this person or not, right? being at a green light and maybe being like, maybe I shouldn't actually hit the gas now because I'm feeling a car come really quickly the opposite way, right? Or skiing down a mountain, you know, when in those states of flow, almost being able to predict the future naturally, allowing your body to guide you on which way to turn left and right. That intuition is accessible more and more once we quiet the mind more and more and pay attention and have awareness of the signals from our body. Mm, I love that. That's so powerful and such an accessible and, and also wise 
description. You know, I think when people hear that, it's like, okay, that makes sense, right? Um, and it's also about going on a journey and and a willingness to to go within and to do something different that um, doesn't lend itself to us blindly following our impulses. Yeah, you know, the distinguishing between impulse and intuition is a paradox. And there's this guru mm. named Guru Sridev that shares that living in paradox is one of the highest states of consciousness. Think of all the paradoxes that we experience in our lives, like all the suffering that we create for ourselves just so that we can go on these transformational retreats and heal, <laughs> making all this money so that we can pay for the thing to heal us all you know <laughs> right there's paradoxes in every moment of our lives you know and it's from this constant push pull between the mind and the spirit and mm -hmm. and the intermediary of that is the body where intuition lies mm, that's beautiful now you've already talked a bit about your journey and and some of the challenges that have emerged for you recently as well as you know when you sort of peaked you know under that sort of rock of consciousness that you found some things in your in your past that were really blocking or blunting your emotional experience of today when you think about a significant challenge that has formed you into the person the man that you are today, what would be a challenge for you that you found has just been tremendously formative in bringing you to this place? Hmm. <clears throat> I think about last October, at um, one of the ayahuasca retreats that I was in service to. Um, and this one took place in Mexico. And I was speaking to the founder of the organization um, about my desire to have an escalating role in the organization, right? And instead of receiving my desire, instead, being shared back that he doesn't believe I should have any role for some time until I have greater um, reverence for the work. It was a very shocking experience for me because of how mm. much energy and passion and sacrifice I devoted to this work. But this, this person, um, is also a teacher of mine. And one time he invited me when I was undergoing a personal challenge to ask myself, why is this happening for me instead of why is this happening to me? And when I ask myself in relationship with people, why is this happening for me? There is always a deeper rooted answer that I can take responsibility for, right? No matter how centered or uncentered the in other individual might be that I'm in relationship with, right? It could be a friend, it could be a stranger, it could be a teacher. 
the way that I show up and the way that I process my emotions and the way that I project out my own shadows is an opportunity for me to translate the challenge into learning. And so what happened for me there is I went on a deep journey of discovering my own humility. Why did I want to be in service, right? I thought at that time, you know, I have all these gifts, I have all these ideas, I, um, the world can use it. <laughs> Saying that now, <laughs> I find humor in it, just reflecting on the hubris that I, that I contained within myself and masked with my own spiritual ego because I had it all figured out. Fast forward to April, where I um, went to this other retreat in Costa Rica as a participant. Um, in this journey, there were several plant medicines used, right? And one of them is one called um, Combo and another one called Hape, right? And in this, these are non-psychotropic in nature, um, but they are considered detoxifying. What they do is they effectively poison your system uh, and allow you to purge and release toxins in the body, right? That's sort of the, the sacred ritual of those medicines. And undergoing the ceremony, I was so dizzy, like literally never been this dizzy in my life. I was purging, which means vomiting over and over and over just from just how sick and dizzy I felt. And this message from the teacher there kept coming into my frame of mind that these medicines <clears throat> exist to help us center when we feel dizzy. In other words, when the world is applying so much pressure, when the world feels like it's conspiring against you, that the real work is to recenter. The real work is to discover the source within myself of why this is happening for me and to recenter. And so I had to go through a lot of suffering before I could find my answer. Ramdas, um, very well-known spiritual guru, shares that we have to suffer enough to muster the courage to act, to want to change. And my path of suffering looked very different than other people's path of suffering. Everyone's path is very different. And the path of suffering for me and for everybody else is directly related to our biggest shadows. In the Yoga Sutras, they have this, this concept of the five poisons, the five clashes. And it says that the root of all suffering is ignorance. And so when I came into awareness of all the things I was ignoring in my life, all the things I was avoiding, avoidance through distraction, through addiction, through attraction, and started to actually open my eyes and instead of averting my gaze, looking straight into it, dealing with the consequences of all the years of avoidance that I've had, 
in my business, in my relationships, in my community, in my work, in my identity. It was the hardest work I've ever done by far. And also the most important work I've ever done by far. Mm, what a beautiful story and journey that you've walked us on. For all of you listening in to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience, I want to share with you an online course that we have on our website. We're going to go ahead and drop the website in our show notes, or you can go to www.resilience-leadership.com and check out our offerings. We've got an incredible course for you called Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people. So if you love what you're learning about in this podcast, if you love these conversations on resilience, if you love hearing about how you can more effectively face the inevitable moments of challenge, change, and complexity, or the three C's as I call them in your life, then go ahead and check out our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people, because what you are going to find is a one-on-one tutorial with me around each of those five practices, as well as an introduction and a conclusion. We've got hours of content that is going to allow you to engage in direct coaching and learning with me on the five practices. Go ahead and check it out, and I hope you'll join us in our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people. You know, one thing that came up as I was listening to your share is suffering required to change, Austin? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, no, but it sure feels like it sometimes. And it kind of speaks <laughs> to <laughs> what I was sharing about falsehood versus truth, right? So David Hawkins' work, um, highly recommend checking it out. He started with a book called Power Versus Force. Uh, and my favorite one is called Letting Go, where he shares a map of consciousness that escalates up these, this ladder from shame, guilt, anger, yeah, shame, guilt, fear, anger, pride, courage, acceptance, um, reason, love, reason, love, peace, joy, enlightenment, right? So, and at every step, he shares how to get to the next step. I mean, it's so incredible, the work that he did and very influential in this psycho-spirituality phase, space. When we are not in courage and above, in other words, when we're not in power, when we're not in strength, when we're not in the path towards oneness, yes, we do have to suffer because mm. suffering is the only thing that will allow us without awareness, without, without this inner, inner sight to do the work to escalate up. But once you have courage, once you have courage to look at your shadows, you don't need to suffer anymore, right? Because it's the very act of courage that can release you from suffering just by looking at the thing. Because courage by definition, gives you the bravery to seek that level of awareness? Yes. I, the way I like to think of it is, think of how many times have you heard, maybe from a family member or from some friends or even yourself, 
might have said, I can't do something. I can't forgive this person, right? I can't um, manifest this dream job that I want. I can't, 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 right? Going from I can't, which is apathy, that's the level of apathy, which is right in between shame and guilt, to I won't is a profound step right away. Because finally, you're mm-hmm. taking responsibility for not doing something, right? You're making a choice to not forgive. I won't. Then the next step is to go from I won't to I want to, right? Now you're in, this, you're in the state of desire. Like, okay, I don't want this suffering anymore. I want freedom and I want to make a change, right? It's at the point where you say, I will, is when you're in courage, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make a phone call and forgive this person that I haven't talked to in years and harbored these feelings towards, right? Not for that person, but for me, for me to free myself from suffering. At that stage, it's very important to ask yourself, what are you willing to risk for freedom? Mm. One of the most important questions I've ever been asked in my life. If the answer is not anything and everything, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You're living in some ignorance and you're perpetuating your own suffering. Mm. Are you willing? What are you willing to risk for freedom? Yes. If you're in suffering, what are you willing to risk to get out of suffering? Are you willing to risk your marriage, your career, your status, your money, your safety net, your cars and your nice things? And if not, that's okay. That's life. And if you believe in karma and and, um, samsara, the cycle of death and rebirth, maybe your next life you'll be willing to risk more. Like, if you got to be willing to risk for freedom, and that's where courage is to release yourself mm. from that suffering, and then to say, Oh, all this baggage that I've been carrying around all my life in this super heavy backpack of all my shadows, all the times I've withheld my forgiveness, all the times I've stepped on this pedestal of righteousness, all the times that I've averted my gaze and numbed myself and drank and smoked and did drugs and watched porn and all of that, all the, this heavy backpack. Oh, I want to release it. I want to throw it off. And when you feel the freedom of doing that, (laughs) I'll tell you the very last thing that you want to do is start putting more stuff in the backpack. (laughs) Hmm. And I love that you brought up you know, sort of like a, a list of things, right, that we could be willing to risk, our status, our career, our marriage. And for you, I know that you've been on this tremendous journey of self-development and awareness and self-actualization. And you've also been married while you've been on this journey. And I wonder if you could speak to us about the process of going through such tremendous introspection and change in relationship? (laughs) Great question. And I would love to share 
the difference that being willing to risk my marriage made for my marriage. I think that's worth saying again. <laughs> the, 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 the power, right? The, the difference that being willing to risk your marriage made for your marriage. Yes. I didn't understand until I found the courage to look at it. That my fear of losing my marriage kept me from speaking and expressing my truth. And mm -hmm. instead, what I did is I suppressed my emotions. I suppressed my feelings. Now, feelings don't go away. When you suppress them, they get trapped in the body. And then they bleed out, you know, depending on the emotions. For me, it was frustration, which is a form of anger, right? And when that got trapped in my body, it would bleed out as resentment and microaggressions, right? I would ask my wife, hey, did you walk the dog? Knowing full well that she hadn't, just so that I could make her feel guilty that she hadn't, right? And the thing about every human being is, even if we're not consciously aware of our intuition, we all have intuition. And her intuition was telling her that her, her husband is angry. Her husband is harboring resentment, even if I was saying it with a smile on my face, right? And when one person has an emotion in that, in that um, place of shadow or weakness, we're all mirrors for each other. And I was projecting onto her and she was projecting right back onto me, right? When I made the commitment to be able, be willing to risk my marriage for freedom, I was able to finally start showing up in a truthful way. Now, in the beginning, that was very challenging because first of all, I didn't really have the tools to navigate how to do it in a, in a effective, to create effective safe container which is where I went on my own personal journey to learn many psychotherapeutic frameworks and techniques to have more effective communication, right? Something that we integrate into our retreats and into our coaching work and ceremonial. So that itself created a lot of suffering, but that suffering was necessary. It was necessary for me to experience the consequence of the inertia of all the years where I was not living in my truth, mm. right? There's, um, there's another line that I really like that, you know, when you're, when you're in movement, when your life is moving forward, you don't feel the speed of your life until you make a change in speed, right? That's when you feel the inertia. And if you're moving really, really up, really quickly, if you're flying high really quickly and you make a change in speed, for a moment you feel weightless. And that feeling of weightlessness can be scary, right? Very scary. And that's what happened, you know, for a few weeks to a few months, like it was a very scary time in my partnership. But because we both do the work, 
because my partner is just as committed as I am to doing her inner work and work for our partnership, we were able to arrive at a place of significantly more healthy partnership in, in sort of psychological terms and a significantly more connected, rewarding and, and deeper relationship in spiritual terms. Amazing. So incredible. I bet there's people wondering right now, can they wake someone else up? Can they bring someone else to consciousness if their partner isn't committed to doing the work at this time in the way that they feel that they are? What do we do, Austin, when we're in relationship with people in our lives who may not be, to borrow some of your words, going at the same speed or on the same trajectory? Um, Another fantastic question. Um, We've all seen the bumper sticker, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? Um, Have you ever been around an individual that you could just feel in your spirit that they had greater peacefulness, greater joy, greater love than everyone else out there, right? Like than the norm, you know? Um, I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> I, you know, for me, this is um, one of the shamans that that I've had the deep honor of um, serving with and and uh, sitting with. Um, his name is Jesus, co- coincidentally. Just being around those people, their aura provides a level of relaxation that is ineffable, right? I say this because the answer to your question directly is yes, it's possible, but not the way that you think it would be. The only way to help other people awaken and grow is by doing it yourself, by being Mm -hmm. the living embodiment of change of peace, of joy, of love. To be that embodiment of selfless service, one of the key steps, and and this is spoken of over and over again in, in Hinduism, in the Bhagavad Gita, is to let go of desire. And so I would invite the primary desire to let go of here is to change the other person. What we teach is that no matter what age you are, right? We've had people that that came through our doors who um, are in their 70s, and we've had people come through our doors that are in their early 20s, right? Doesn't matter what age you are, if you haven't done this awakening and healing work, you're still driven by the inner child that is craving love. There are three directions that the body signals. The desire to receive love, the desire to give love, and the desire to run away from death, right? Nearly all human actions can be distilled down and reduced to those three things. Hmm. So when 
we are standing in front of someone we love and care so deeply for. And we're like, oh, I just wish this person can feel what I feel. I just wish this person can get out of their anger, can get out of their grief, can get out of their depression, right? And I feel it's my duty to do that. Do you know what they feel? What their inner child feels? Their inner child feels, oh, I'm not enough. My husband or my wife or my, my son or my daughter doesn't believe that I'm happy or capable of happiness, doesn't believe that I'm loving or joyful or peaceful, is not accepting me for where I am now. And the only way to cure that, that inner child that's yearning for love and safety is through the portal of acceptance, of fully accepting who they are right now, always. And through that mechanism, which is so hard, believe me, I know, <laughs> through that mechanism, they can then feel relaxed by your aura enough to create an opening where they then say, huh, I kind of want what you have, this peacefulness. How'd mm. you get there? Beautiful. I wonder, you know, Austin, you talk a lot about the process and the journey that you've been on of doing your own work, looking deeply within, trusting and listening to your intuition, uh, being courageous enough to look at your own shadows. In order to lead others on their journeys of exploration, growth, development, expansion, is it a requirement that someone has done their own work first? Absolutely. Because as I shared, everyone has their own intuition, right? And if I am not in a centered state, if I am not holding myself accountable to what I preach, if I'm not practicing what I preach, it will be obvious to them. And if I am to do the work in helping people guide themselves to greater access to their spirit, that truthfulness will be more and more available to them. No matter how, I, how much I could possibly act, when they become more in tune with their intuition and in tune with their soul, their inspiration, then they will see me more truly for who I am, as well as everyone else, right? So it is of utmost importance that if somebody is stepping into a guiding role, that they are living that path. Living that path. Mm, amazing. And we're coming up, uh, gosh, it's, it's gone by so fast, but we're coming up on sort of the end of this time together in this episode. So I wonder, Austin, if you could tell us more about for people who feel excited or interested that are in exploration, where can they find the work that you're doing with Ceremonia and with the Enthogenic Church? Oh. Um, so we have a website at ceremoniacircle.org. And my personal website is at my name, austinmal.com, uh, where I share some of my writings and podcasts and whatnot. And, podcasts and, whatnot. and then for Ceremonia, uh, on the website, we share our beliefs 
our retreat schedules and some of the teachings that we have. Over the next few months, we'll also be open sourcing and sharing publicly all of the facilitation guides and the work that we're creating for Ceremonia that is in service of other kind of retreat operators and other people in this sacred plant medicine space to be able to use our information. Um, those are great resources to, to find out more um, and would be really excited to um, hear from your listeners and, and field any kind of questions or interests that they might have. Amazing. I'm sure they'll, they will be very, very excited to, well, this time with you has been absolutely amazing and tremendous. I took so many notes and thinking about so many different perspectives that you shared with us, this, you know, idea of getting to a point in our lives where we're ready to risk it all for freedom is just mm. so powerful. And I'm so delighted to have you here as a guest today and so excited and energized by the incredible work that you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you so much, Taryn. I'm so grateful to see your, your beautiful face and your smile and um, these poignant questions, which I also know derive from your own heart and your own journey, because you know, I see you really shining forth, being radiant, doing the work, and also in service to the rest of the world through podcasts like this. So I'm super grateful mm -hmm. for you. Really hope that we can have you on, on one of our retreats. Um, got one coming at the end of September. Would love it if you could join. Would be my honor. <laughs> Speak to you soon, Austin. Bye for now. Bye, Taryn. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Austin Mao, the founder of Ceremonia. I love discussing intuition, body, mind, spirit, connection, and the role of suffering in personal growth. I'm so glad that we got to emphasize the importance of courage and authenticity and personal growth in relationships, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't already, give this episode a five-star rating if you feel aligned. And I'd love to hear your perspectives of our conversation. Until next time, this is Dr. Taryn Marie for Flourish or Fold. For all of you listening in to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience, I want to share with you an online course that we have on our website. We're gonna go ahead and drop the website in our show notes or you can go to www.resilience-leadership.com and check out our offerings. We've got an incredible course for you called Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people. So if you love what you're learning about in this podcast, if you love these conversations on resilience, if you love hearing about how you can more effectively face the inevitable moments of challenge, change, and complexity or the three C's as I call them in your life, then go ahead and check out our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people, because what you are going to find is a one-on-one -on -one tutorial with me around each of those five practices, as well as an introduction and a conclusion. We've got hours of content that is going to allow you to engage in direct coaching and learning with me on the five practices. Go ahead and check it out, and I hope you'll join us 
in our online course, Flourish, the five practices of highly resilient people.